Our gospel reading this morning, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for your many good gifts to us. And God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we ask that this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that are soft, ready to receive your word into our lives and be changed more into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 1, 21 through 28. So very early in Jesus' ministry, it says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Yes, I would think so. Our New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia, and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. I've gone too far. <laughs> it's hard to stop. Anyway, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Be to God. As we come to our sermon text this morning, it actually picks up the end of Genesis chapter 27 and then goes on through uh, chapter 28. And um, it also picks up in the middle of a story. Uh, this is a story that has been going on really uh, since Genesis 1, since the very beginning. But it's one that has uh, that story that sort of tells the story of everything. Um, slows down a lot when it gets to chapter 12. 
And it starts telling the story of God working with one particular family and with a particular purpose, and that purpose being to bless all of the world through this one particular family. And so since chapter 12, we've been looking at Abraham and his family and how God is uh, actually making these promises and then faithfully fulfilling these promises and yet working in a different way than we might expect, working in a different time scale than we might expect. And yet that's what we've been doing, following along Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his and Isaac's sons uh, Jacob and Esau. And unfortunately, where we left off uh, last week is uh, with Jacob and Esau not really getting along. Uh, these two brothers, we don't hear very much about them, but every time we've heard about them so far, the younger of the two twin brothers has been doing something he probably shouldn't be doing to his older brother. <laughs> when they are born, he's grabbing the heel, and you're like, well, that's weird, and especially if you understand that that is a way of describing somebody who is um, trying to usurp what isn't rightfully theirs. Uh, to try to take that role of authority that shouldn't be theirs. And we see him like literally doing that thing as he's born. You go, oh, that's, that's weird. And then he grows up, and you see him, uh, the next time we see them together, uh, Jacob, the younger brother, is saying, hey, if you will give me uh, your double portion of the inheritance after dad dies, then, uh, yeah, I'll give you a bowl of soup now. What? kind of deal is this and that's what they do and uh going, well you that's that's not good and then then you move on and this is what we looked at last week is uh him taking advantage not only of his brother but also of his father as he is aging and he can't see clearly anymore and he goes and he lies and pretends to be his brother so that his father will bless him and so uh where we left off last week was with uh let's see Verse 20, or verse 41 of chapter 27 says, Esau, the older brother, kept having wrong done to him, says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Oh, no. This has gone from bad to worse. And now we're just replaying the story that we saw at the very beginning with Cain and Abel, right? Where the two brothers... Not getting along, and one decides they're just, you know, if murder will solve this. No. (laughs) But that's where we are. We're kind of back uh, to that point of the story. And so the question is, how does it go forward from here? How does God continue to work through this family to bless the whole world, especially when this family keeps seemingly trying to derail everything as quickly as possible? So that's where we are. Um, picking up then, chapter 27, verse 42. This is when Rebecca, that's the mom, was told what her older son Esau had said. She sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebecca said to Isaac, her husband, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. 
If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padanaram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself from there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram, to, Padan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac, so he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a second. Not long, though, because we're really going as what happens next. But at this point, uh, we have, can we be honest? A pretty dysfunctional family. (laughs) This is getting pretty messed up. So at this point, we have uh, the two brothers who are, one is angry enough to kill and seems to have kind of justification for this as he is... um, as the younger brother has consistently been doing wrong to him. And so he's, he's upset, and we go, well, yeah, you're upset. But then again, you know, his solution is murder. And the mom is like, well, we can't have that, so you've got to go away. She sends away the one whose uh, life is in danger for his own safety, but kind of does it under the guise of, well, we've got to get him married to somebody decent. So here again, she's the one, by the way, if you remember uh, when Jacob was deceiving his father before, she's the one who hatched the plan. And well, now here she is hatching another plan and going to Isaac and doesn't say to him, Esau's trying to kill Jacob. We got to send Jacob away for his own safety. Instead, she goes to him and says, well, you know, it's the, it's the marrying thing. And, and in doing so, there's, there's actually something to that, but it also causes additional problems in the family. Did you notice this? That now Esau is not just uh, seeing that Jacob has gone off, but understands that the reason he's gone is because his mom, uh, Esau's mom, hates Esau's wives. And now the dad does too. And it's like, well, this, he's done wrong by me again. (laughs) Now here this uh, brother of mine is going to go off and he's going to make the parents proud. And meanwhile, here I am, and I can't do anything right. Anybody ever have a family situation that feels like that? This is where they are. And Esau, well, we've got to fix this. And so he goes, I'll just, I don't know, maybe marry some more people. That'll make dad happy. Nope. <laughs> that didn't fix it either. And so we have kind of these... Um, ways of going about things. I don't know if you're paying attention to our prayer of confession earlier where it says, uh, you know, we are weak, but you are strong. Our ways are flawed, but your ways are true. We are seldom right, but you are never wrong. Maybe as you read this, you look at Esau and you're like, what are you thinking? 
Or maybe you look at this and go, yeah, I get it. I've been there. I'm all the time coming up with something that I think is going to fix everything, and it's just not the right thing at all. That my ways are often flawed, and it turns out I am uh, seldom right. But that's the way they're going about things. And so when we get to this point in the story, we're looking at a you know, dysfunctional family, but also now a fractured family, where Jacob has just been sent over 500 miles away. And now think about this. Before we hear what happens to him on the way, think about where he is. He is now having to go somewhere he's never been before, over 500 miles away, um, difficult travel, to say the least, on his own, alone, and as he's doing so, he knows it's his fault. He has effectively cut himself off from his father and his mother and his brother through the things that he has done. This was supposed to be the family. This was supposed to be the family through whom God was going to bless all the nations of the earth. And he's messed it up. And he goes off on his own. And you can only wonder kind of what his um, mental, emotional state is as he travels. But then we hear what happens while he's on the way. This is Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. So Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Mm, Comfy. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. You hear this? How cool is this? God has just come to him in this dream and has, uh, he has this vision of heaven and earth being connected. He has this vision of uh, this stairway where the messengers of God, these angels, are going to and fro from heaven and earth, between heaven and earth, to accomplish God's purposes. And as, uh, and as they're doing so, What is it that God is saying to him? But he's confirming the promises that he made all the way back to Abraham. And he's saying, this is still what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do this through you. Now let us reflect for a second. What is it that Jacob has done to this point that we have read about? What has he done to deserve this kind of promise to him by God? Anything? Yeah, we could wait all day. There's nothing. (laughs) What he has done so far that we are told about that deserves this kind of uh, promise from God is nothing. Now look at it again of what God says that he's going to do and ask yourself the question, 
what is it that God is requiring of Jacob in this moment as he makes these promises? He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Catch it? What is it that's being required of Jacob? Nothing. What has he done to deserve it? Nothing. What is he going to have to do to maintain it? Nothing. Not at this point. What's happening right here is God is saying, this is not because of what you have done. It's not because of what you're going to do. It's because of who I am and what I am choosing to do in and through you. That's what's happening here. And it's amazing. (laughs) But this is what happened with Abraham. God just picks this guy and says, here's what I'm going to do. And then you go down through Isaac and now you get to Jacob. And you say, but these people keep messing up. God, I don't think this is the right family. This is who I'm using. This is who I've picked. And this is what I will do. And if you read forward in the story, this is what God does. <laughs> he stays faithful to this promise. He, uh, he makes these promises and then he keeps these promises. And when you look at exactly what he's saying here, he's just reconfirming the same promises to Abraham. And it's almost like he's saying to Jacob, the things that you have done that uh, maybe feel like are good reason for me to just walk away, those don't change the promises I've made. And I am still going to be faithful to those promises. And uh, those promises that I made to Abraham, I'm going to fulfill, and I'm going to do that through you. This is good news, I would think. Jacob wakes up, and how does he respond? It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? Awesome there does not mean super cool. Awesome is like awe-inspiring, um, that kind of thing. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So what's he do? Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Bethel is how we say it. Bethel, meaning house of God. Beth, house, El, God. There you go. Uh, He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all of all that you give me I will give you a tenth. Do you hear his response? What do you think of this response? Is this good or not good? I think it's a very interesting response. He sets this up, and then he says... Uh, he kind of makes this if-then statement. All right, God, if, you're really, if you do these things, then here's what I'll do. We'll make a little deal here. You, you do these things. Uh, you be with me. You watch over me. Uh, give me food and clothes. You know, give me your presence. Give me your provision. Give me safety. And if you do these things, then I'll give you my allegiance, honor, and even sacrifice. What do you think? Is that what God is asking from him? Is that the deal he's supposed to be making? Maybe not. And yet, the way that I read this 
is not that, you know, God hears him make this deal and he's like, oh, no, Jacob, it's not like that. Forget it, we're done. <laughs> you, you still don't get it right, whatever. Neither does he seem to be like, yes, yes, that's how we're going to do it. Now you're going to owe me these things and this is the deal that we're making. No. And yet he does just seem to accommodate that. And I think of it in terms of like a parent with a, a small child who is begging for a dog. And how does a small child beg for a dog? Oh, I promise if you get the dog, I will do every, I will feed it every day. I will, I will uh, wash it. I will uh, take it out for walks and I will be, right? As a parent, do you believe them? <laughs> no, you don't believe them. But the way that that deal is made is really not on the strength of the promises that the child is making. The way that that deal is struck is on the will of the parent as to whether or not this is going to happen, right? I think that's the way that God is interacting with Jacob here, that he allows the freedom for Jacob to be saying things this way. I don't know if you've ever done the, God, if you'll just get me through this test, this season of life, this whatever, then I will do all these things. You ever had that kind of prayer? (laughs) You ever fallen down on the other side of that? And yet, I think God makes room for this because it's a part of our growing relationship with him. And I think this is a step in Jacob's relationship with God. No, I don't think he gets it all right here. (laughs) But I don't think that that means God rejects it either. I think he is growing in his relationship, and he is learning what it means to relate to God, and he is learning what it is to walk with God and for God to be with him on this journey. There is one other thing that I really want to address, and that is what he says when he first wakes up. But before we can really get into that, I want us to see a video that helps us understand some of the big picture stuff that's going on here and that's going on everywhere. All right, you see why we had to see this, right? (laughs) What it is that Jacob says when he first wakes up is surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. What's he saying? This is the place where heaven and earth overlap. I love the way they do those pictures there where you kind of have that mental image. The mental image that uh, Jacob has is this stairway, heaven and earth. It's where heaven and earth overlap. None other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Um, Now, here's the deal. I tell people a lot uh, that if we are ever reading the Old Testament and applying it straight to today without taking that through Jesus first, we're probably misapplying it. This is one of those places where I think that is um, critical. And so if you go to John chapter 1, Jesus actually references this uh, vision that Jacob has, but he does it in an interesting way. This is uh, right after what we saw in that video of John the Baptist saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. End of chapter 1, Nathanael comes 
to Jesus, and it says in verse 47, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is it truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And listen to this. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is referencing this vision of Jacob, and what is he saying about it? He's saying, you remember how there was this place where heaven and earth overlapped? That's me. That's what we saw in this video of uh, Jesus being that overlap between heaven and earth. It's this bringing everything back together again. So when uh, Jacob wakes, I think he says more than he even realizes when he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. I don't think that's because that location was particularly special. I think that is the, the location where Jacob became aware of the presence of God, the God who had been with him before he ever went to Bethel, <laughs> who would continue to be with him. That's the promises he made, even after he leaves Bethel. It's not that place. It's the presence of God with him, whether he's aware of it or not. That's just where he became aware of it. And in Jesus, this is one of the things that we proclaim and declare to the world, is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's not just when we're here in the sanctuary. That's when we're at home. It's when we are at work. It's when we feel like we have messed everything up, and now we're all alone because we've cut everything, everyone off. He's with us. It's when he's with us before we've done all that. And we're still in the midst of destroying all our relationships. <laughs> and we don't realize it yet because we think, ah, no one's going to know. He's with us, even then. Whether we are aware of it or not, he is with us. And so the, um, one of the, the calls for us constantly is to be aware of his presence with us. So just as uh, Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it, that's exactly right. And that's how an awful lot of us live, is with the Lord, with us, in whatever place we're in, and we're not aware of it. There is so much noise and distraction in our day-to-day that it's really easy to miss and to be unaware of God's presence with us. It's one of the reasons why we gather together on a regular basis, to be reminded again that there, uh, there is more to what's going on than just the constant stream of, attract, of distraction. It's the reason why we read the Bible and we read it together. It's the reason why we have particular times that we want to make sure that we are in prayer. In Jesus, we have access to this overlap between heaven and earth. That God is with us, whether we are aware of it or not. And so, that's really it. I think the application for us today is just awareness. 
It's not to go build an altar, not to go set up a pillar. It's not to make if-then vows. Well, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. It's just to be aware of who God is and what he has already done, the promises that he's made, including the promise to be with us through everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence here and everywhere we go. Lord, we ask that uh, you would help us to be a people who remember rather than being those who are so quick to forget. Help us to remember who you are. Help us to remember what you have done. Help us to remember what you have promised. Lord, help us to remember that wherever we are and whatever we're going through, now that you are with us, that we can pour out our hearts to you, whether it is hearts that are full of rejoicing or that are hearts that are full of sorrow. Lord, knowing that you share in our joys and you share in our griefs. God, we thank you. And like David, we are, again, just in awe that with as great as you are, that you would care about us. And yet you do. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing love, which you have shown for us most explicitly in Jesus and in his death and resurrection on our behalf. And so we pray all of this in his name. And we pray even as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory Amen.